For sports content from the biggest leagues and competitions across the world, look no further than Reuters Connect, Reuters online news content platform. Reuters Connect makes finding the sports content you need easy, whether it's in-depth reporting from Reuters journalists or access to video highlights from around the world. Bring the world of sport directly to your workplace with Reuters Connect. For more information and a free trial, visit ReutersConnect.com. Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week, we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Sports professor Rick Haro inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports with the biggest week maybe of the year so far. A lot of game sevens in hockey and basketball. Baseball heating up for the next quarter of their season, let's say, getting ready for the second leg of the Triple Crown. Big time NASCAR, big time Formula One. Major in golf. So much stuff to cover. Deal-making issues. Three to one. Three. LA Kings to become the first NHL franchise to tap volumetric video capture for an immersive fan experience. In partnership with Tatavi, the first NFL franchise to use this immersive experience from the Metaverse, the portable volumetric capture studio set up last month at the Kings practice facility at the Toyota Performance Center in El Segundo. The players, Philip Deneau, Andre Kopitar, Trevor Moore, all, as well as the mascot, Bailey, recorded uh, the first videos during the Kings' first home playoff game on May 6th at Crypto.com. Serial entrepreneur Miki Tamir, who previously founded Sportview, Pixelot, and Track 160, among other companies, is co-founder and chairman of Tatavi 2. FIFA and EA Sports end their video game partnership, a lengthy history together. FIFA and Electronic Arts announced the end, and since 1993, FIFA and EA have partnered in making the world's best-selling sports video game franchise. Uh, EA made the game and FIFA lent its name, but in almost 30 years, sold more than 300 million copies and made over 20 billion. The game is sold in more than 50 countries, commentary available in almost 20 languages. It will now be known as EA Sports FC. They announced their partnership would end this year after they failed to reach an agreement to extend their contract. Electronic Arts announced they'll launch a new soccer video game franchise in 2023. And FIFA said it also plans to release a game in the near future. And obviously, may the best game win. One. Genius Sports clinches their first live tracking data and enhanced partnership with SL Benfica, one of the most prestigious and successful teams in the history of European soccer. The enhancement of on-field performance levels whilst reimagining the Benfica fan experience with live broadcast overlays. Through its second spectrum division, Genius Sports provides Benfica with some of the most advanced tracking technology in world sport, applying state-of-the-art machine learning and A1 capabilities, AI capabilities, to capture new levels of statistical insight. Both Benfica TV and Benfica Play will be able to host Genius Sports Enhanced Telecast, helping the club to grow its global audience 
and set new levels for fan engagement, European club soccer. What did both of those have in common? Well, soccer, 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 it's the global game. And obviously, if you have any plans to go to Qatar around the end of November, we'll see it consistently supported as well as four years from now in Mexico, United States, and Canada when the World Cup comes. One of the foremost founders of the whole soccer world on the heels of last week's interview with Alan Rothenberg, Marla Messing, the CEO of the 1999 World Cup, highest average attendance for women's sporting event uh, in history, 1.2 million tickets. Latham and Watkins, attorney where she met Alan, but obviously the EVP of the 94 World Cup, 95-96, senior vice president of the MLS, vice president, successful Olympic bid committee for LA. Now, she's the interim CEO of the National Women's Soccer League. Issues of players and Olympics and all of the issues relative to payment for women's sports. Marla Messing, a true pioneer. Here she is now. Michigan undergrad, Chicago Law School. When did you decide that you would be involved in this yet evolving field of sports law? So, you know, it's actually really interesting because my great uncle was Paul Ziffrin, who was the chairman of the 1984 Los Angeles Olympic Organizing Committee. Um, but I, I grew up in Chicago, not in Los Angeles, and I didn't really think about having a career in sports. Um, but when I moved out to practice law at Latham & Watkins, I ended up sitting a couple doors down from Alan Rothenberg, who was already a very prominent uh, lawyer involved in sports and the sports business and teams and leagues. And, uh, and I got to know him, and after a couple of years, I found myself working at the 1994 FIFA World Cup. Found yourself working. That, that's not the way I had heard it. I had heard that you were the go-getter and Alan Rothenberg who we're also interviewing for this series, has said that it took, in his words, five minutes to decide that you would be basically running the event. Yeah. So obviously some diversity as well. Did you realize, and we'll get into kind of the traits of all of this, that you needed business background, legal background, marketing background, psychology background, or a whole host of it? What, what, was, what was the most important uh, academic background to, to uh, uh, prepare you for all this? Well, when I got to the Men's World Cup, the only real background I had was a college degree and a legal background. Right. Um, but I really wasn't hired by Alan to be part of the legal department there. So, um, you know, I think in my many years now in sports, I always fall back on what I learned in law school and what I learned practicing law. But there's, you know, so many more aspects to it and, and certainly uh, an instinct for marketing, uh, good instincts around business, um, understanding, you know, deployment of capital, all those things are important. But I, I wasn't trained in those areas, and I think I, I was just blessed with some, you know, good, good intuition. Everybody understands the deployment of capital piece because that's what makes this world sing. You're in 94 and the FIFA World Cup. You had a $404 million surplus off a $30 million budget. That's a pretty significant number, there was a lot of, skepticism is the wrong word, but a lot of uncertainty as to how it be pulled off. But then you sell over a million tickets, you have 90,000 people at the Rose Bowl, and on and on and on. 
I could ask how you did it, but what was the mindset getting into it? What did you realize you had to do first to make it a success? So this is the Women's World Cup, right? That's correct. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the Women's World Cup um, was in some ways a, an enormous risk. Um, and, and as the story goes, I went to the 96 Olympics yeah. and I watched uh, the U.S. Women's National Team play in the semifinals and the finals. Um, and saw, you know, this huge crowd at Sanford Stadium. Um, and, you know, we, we were trying to decide, was this just the, the Olympic aura? Or was there a genuine, you know, crowd for women's soccer, a genuine fan base for women's soccer? And, you know, just seeing the, the young girls in their Mia Hamm jerseys and Christine Lilly jerseys, you know, we decided that there seemed to be a real audience. It wasn't just an Olympic audience. So we do Olympics. We are significant in the bid to bring the Olympics to L.A. What motivated you to do that day job for a while? So, I mean, this, this is kind of a unique story. So after the Women's World Cup and after a short stint in a dot-com, you know, dot-com company that blew up, I actually took 16 years off of work. I, uh, I mean, initially I thought I was going to take a couple years off, but I had had three children. I got very involved in, in raising them and in their school and this and that. And so it wasn't until my children started to go off to college that I decided I wanted to work again. And, um, and I was fortunate enough to get a position at um, the LA Olympic and Paralympic yeah. bid committee. Um, but again, this was many, many years later. Uh, I spent a couple years there working on the bid, and then, um, and then you know, they got 28 instead of 24. Um, and so from there, I, I went to the USTA, spent a couple years there, and, and, and now with the NWSL. But, but there was a, a very large gap of time between the Women's World Cup and the Olympics. Large gap, gap of time, but, but it's an entire, entirely different organization and entirely different process as well. We'll get to tennis and soccer again in a minute, but uh, look, I could ask you whether you're excited about 28 in LA. We all know you are. Uh, is the is the timing of this going to work out better in LA now that you have a versus 24? You got a Super Bowl, you got SoFi, you've got uh, college championships, you've got more time to deal with infrastructure. Looking back, right decision? I mean, I think it was a great decision. You know. Kudos to Casey Wasserman yeah. for, um, for, for bringing that option to the IOC. Um, and I think it's worked out great. And as you said, uh, Los Angeles is blessed with a number of very significant events all the way through 28, including, you know, hopefully the, the Men's World Cup, the U.S. Open uh, golf tournament, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, all sorts of events. So it's going to be an incredible decade of sports in Southern California. All right, let's talk tennis. Okay. So, you, you know, you didn't have enough of, uh, of, of something that you weren't uh, absolutely familiar with. So the U.S. Tennis Association, Southern California, you needed to be cleaned up and improved. So here you are. Is that what happened? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Tell us a little more, more about it. So, um, well, first of all, I'm a big tennis fan. I love that. And, you know, Southern California has an incredible history yeah. with the sport of tennis. I mean, some of the most iconic figures in American tennis, you know, are from here. Right. You have, you know, Billie Jean King. Arthur Ashe went to UCLA. You have the Williams sisters. Lindsay Davenport. You have Lindsay Davenport. You have Tracy Austin. Yeah. You have Pete Sampras. I mean, there is 
an endless, you know, group of legends of the sport coming out of uh, Southern California. So it, it's a, a particularly interesting and fun place to uh, to be working in tennis. And, and also, you know, I'd spent so many years um, connected to U.S. soccer, which is yeah. the national governing body for soccer, even though I was never an employee of the governing body. So when the USTA came around, you know, I, I felt very familiar in the world of a governing body. And uh, so took that position and had a great time for a couple of years. So Marla Messing develops a brand of quintessential entrepreneurial lawyer, brighter than anybody else, but Miss Cleanup. And so as Miss Cleanup, we talk about the NWSL. You've used the word on and off camera, challenging. There are some very difficult issues facing the NWSL. Why do you decide to take it and what's next for you with them? So, um, you know, because of my work on the 1999 FIFA Women's World Cup, I, I always have a place in my heart for the sport of women's soccer. I think uh, the potential for the sport is, you know, unlimited. And so when the NWSL fell on very hard wow. times uh, last year in 2021, um, you know, they reached out to me. Actually, Cindy Cohn of mm -hmm. U.S. Soccer reached out to me to see if I would come in and help and try to clean it up. Um, and I did. Um, and, you know, it was something, it was almost a labor of love. It's important to me that the sport and that the league um, get back on track and are successful and provide a place for women's soccer players to make a living doing what they love. So, um so as I said, it's it's a labor of love, but um, you know there are a lot of challenges, and and but we're getting there. We're making we're making some progress. And only you could expedite this progress the way it's happening. However, it's a turbulent time. It's a time of me too. It's a lot of allegation times. He said, she said, a lot of litigation. You're a lawyer, so you can handle all that. That said. Uh, this is an extraordinarily difficult and maybe pivotal time, not only for this league, but also uh, the future of the business of sports broadly defined. Do, do, do you see it that way? I do. I mean, I think that there have been cultural issues in sports, not just soccer, not just women's soccer, youth sports, you know, certainly yeah. uh, many of the Olympic sports, the um, sort of disempowerment of athletes yeah. uh, over the years has, has been too great. And, um, and I think this is a reckoning. Um, and, you know, the, the NWSL is part of a larger reckoning of uh, athletes being given, um, you know, much greater um, power and authority um, and, and an ability to, to make sure that they are treated, you know, treated properly. A couple more, uh, but broadly defined, since you've, there is not one sport you don't know or, 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 or been involved in. Uh, gaming, the broad definition, fantasy, esports, uh, stuff that was met with considerable disdain years ago. Now it has to be embraced by everybody or they left it off the table. What's your impression generally where we are now and where it's going from your perspective? I mean, from my perspective, it's, you know, it's the next frontier or it's maybe not even the next frontier, it's here, right? Esports is massive um, and probably only getting bigger. Gaming, um, you know, 
it has been part of sports for a long time. It's now getting embraced and um, becoming more formalized uh, with the leagues. You know, quite frankly, I'd like to see it more on the women's side of the game. We haven't seen it as much as you do in you know, the NFL and the NBA because um, if it can be managed, these things present tremendous commercial opportunities. Um, and women's sports, you know, needs those commercial opportunities. So I hope that there's a, a, a sweet spot for those things in the women's game. And again, but it, it does have to be managed well. We have a large audience today, and there are some people in the audience who might have some influence over that, by the way, over some time. <laughs> you know, and the interesting thing about it, too, is the WNBA just finished a $70 million fundraise. Yep. And I'm sure when you look at the numbers of that, part of that is for the aspiration of gaming long term, too. So this is not an unrealistic goal. What about the obvious question, the role uh, influence you've had on young women in business? And we'll talk about young women in sports generally, but what's your advice for a young uh, female who wants to get involved in the business? I mean, I think my advice is probably the same as for a young male. You know, yeah. you've got to do your homework. You got to it's, it's hard work. I mean, people, I think people look at jobs in sports and they think, oh, that would be a lot of fun. And, you know, you get to go to games and this and that. But uh, it's like any other business. It's a lot of hard work. Um, and, you know, it's a lot of preparation. It's a lot of learning and understanding, you know, how all the different dynamics fit together and, you know, how you can make an impact. So I think my advice is always get you know, the best education you can um, and be ready to work really hard. Back in the leather helmet days, you know, Rick, speak for yourself. But we're old enough where, you know, when I was met with I want to do something in sports law, it was there's no such thing. Now it's a lot more competitive and a lot bigger. Predict kind of the future of the sports business and sports law is part of that too. Well, I think the sports business is just going to continue to grow. Um, I mean, you know, notwithstanding changes in the media marketplace yeah. and, you know, shifting sort of the shifting ground of, of business in general and becoming more tech oriented and all those things, the sports business, you know, just continues to grow and thrive um, and, you know, will always be there. And, and um, you know, the practice of law is always going to be a part of it because what are we talking about? We're talking about IP, right? Yeah, we're talking yeah. about player contracts. We're talking about, you know, sponsorship agreements and broadcast agreements. So, you know, it's still based in, in the practice of law um, and, uh, and, and it's getting more interesting every day. Marla, incredibly gifted, has the most significant credentials anybody can ever see and Obviously, the league and other sports that she's involved in are in good hands. Let's look at the Sports Tech Minute. UFC champ Amanda Nunez set to offer personal training sessions in her digital gym with her new partnership. Sports Metaverse launched a pre-sale for real estate in its digital world and partnered with two-time UFC champion Amanda Nunez, Nunez, in which she'll offer training in her Metaverse gym. Full public land sale planned for June Sports Metaverse announcing the first five brands to purchase space. On the moment, Fatfish Fantasy, Thrive Fantasy, Beyond the Game Network, Press Sports. Nunez creating her own digital gym in which her 3D avatar offers MMA coaching. 
raised $5.5 million seed round with investors from Dapper Labs and others. Chelsea striker Romelu Lukaku partnered with Sports Icon last November to be involved as well. Clearly key to success. And that's your Sports Tech Minute. Sports Gambling Minute. The Minnesota House passes a bill legalizing betting after the long, 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 long wait. They passed a bill legalizing sports gambling at state casinos and online, a move putting Minnesota on the same page as its neighboring states, which already offer it. Pressure really been building for us to do something here in Minnesota, said a rep. Yeah, no fooling. No one in Minnesota should have to go to Iowa to have fun. That's kind of the motto here. Should have the ability to do this with uh, legality and guardrails here in Minnesota. Past 70 to 57, it allows sports betting in the state's tribal casinos and through mobile apps. Casinos control online gambling, and the Minnesota Indian Gaming Association, which represents the tribes, supports the bill. Passage of any legislation marks the most significant change in gambling gambling law in Minnesota in 40 years. Finally, let's, as we always do, get into the good sports five, philanthropy at its best. NBA releases its redesigned trophies for awards season, new ones to go along with it. The Larry O'Brien Trophy, the key. Larry Bird, Oscar Robertson, honored in new trophies. Charitable pieces as well. Drew Brees hasn't ruled out a potential return to the gridiron, but also hints at potentially staying in broadcasting and He obviously dealt with other situations. He says he may work for NBC, may play football again, may train for the pickleball tour, may focus on business and philanthropy, may play senior golf, may coach my kids, or all of the above. I'll let you know. I may run for president. The only difference is this guy can do anything he says. He played in 2020 and appeared in 12 games for the Saints, throwing for nearly 3,000 yards. I wouldn't put anything past him. Josh Lambeau sues the Jaguars, alleging Urban Meyer created a hostile work environment. He earned $14,000 as a member of the Steelers' practice squad after being cut by the Jaguars. He received his full $3.5 million salary because he's enlisted a veteran Uh, as a veteran with more than four years of experience as the Jaguars cut him. And obviously, he has some deep-seated issues with Urban Meyer. We'll see how that impacts the Jaguars going forward. Nashville Mayor, says uh, John Cooper, says uh, Nissan Stadium would be upgraded and not replaced. The idea would be to pay for a new enclosed facility. $700 $700 million coming from the team, $500 million from a hotel motel tax, and that's a very important deal as well. And then finally, Mike Shelton's Heritage Sports Youth Foundation combines sports and leadership development, and it believes in strengthening lives and community through sports, team path, catered grades K through 12, all across the sports spectrum. We wish that foundation very well. Well, that's the show for the week. We'd like to thank Marla Messing for lending her incredible expertise. We'd like to thank Nick Nielsen for helping to put the show together. We'd like to thank everybody who helped in the creation and distribution. 
Again, I'd like to thank you all for watching and listening. And join us again next week when we go inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. I'm Rick Haro. Speak with you then. Action Images is the global multimedia sports agency of Reuters. Leagues, teams and federations around the world rely on Action Images to create, distribute and monetize their content. Action Images' global footprint means sports media expertise is never far away. For more information, visit actionimages.com.